Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Hello, everyone. We sing about him, pray about him, and some even talk to him. But do we really understand what he is, if in fact he is a he? I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, that very real wind-like presence in our lives who showed up to carry on the work of Christ when the Savior ascended to heaven 2,000 years ago. Today, Dr. Jennings is with us via Skype to share some insights into this sometimes mysterious force and let us know why we need the Holy Spirit. Dr. Jennings, the time is yours. Thanks, Charles. And in order to appreciate the role of the Holy Spirit in our salvation, we must actually understand the problem of sin and what God is accomplishing to save us. Mm-hmm. And when Adam and Eve sinned, God did not get changed. No, God's law did not get changed. No. The condition of Adam and Eve was changed from holy, pure, righteous beings who loved and trusted God to fear-filled, selfish beings who distrusted God. That's what happened when Adam and Eve sinned. And we are all born in sin, conceived in iniquity. We're born fear-ridden and distrusting and self-centered. The plan of salvation is the plan of healing, of restoring, of recreating, of renewing in humanity God's perfect design, his living law of love, so that we who are fearful, selfish, and distrusting are restored to loving, loyal friends of God. That's the plan. Mm -hmm. In order for that to happen— The lies about God had to be refuted with evidence from God in order to win us back to trust in God. And Jesus, God in humanity, revealed that truth. And once won back to trust, we then need a new heart, right heart, righteous spirit, a new holy character in harmony with God. We could not develop a perfect, pure, sinless humanity. So Jesus not only revealed the truth about God to win us trust, But he also, as a human, was tempted in every way just like we are. But as a human, he overcame every temptation and by his loving self-sacrifice destroyed the infection of fear and selfishness which Adam brought upon the race, what some call the carnal nature. And he developed a pure, holy, and perfect human nature, human character. The work of the Holy Spirit is upon the hearts and minds of people. The Spirit first works in our hearts to instill a desire for God, for righteousness, for love, for holiness, that leaves us longing for something better than this world can offer. Mm -hmm. And people out in the world who don't know God, they're restless, they're uneasy, there's something amiss, they're searching, they're searching. You've seen this. Yes. This is the Holy Spirit working. This is promised in Genesis chapter 3 when God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman. The woman is humanity, and he is a serpent, is Satan and his colleagues there. And I will put enmity. God began working in the hearts of human sinners to give them a desire for heaven, for reconciliation, for healing, and to be dissatisfied with the the empty baubles of this world. The Spirit works to create that. The Spirit also brings conviction that something's wrong, that we're sick, and conviction of sin, the Bible says, where we're short of God's design, so that we're not satisfied in our current sin-sick terminal state. And then the Spirit reveals the truth to us. This is the Spirit of truth, the truth of God's trustworthiness, the truth of God's love. And if 
with this truth and conviction, we make the choice to give God permission and open our heart, then the Holy Spirit comes in and takes away our fear, mm-hmm. our sin, mm-hmm. our selfishness, our guilt, our shame, and gives us a new heart and a right spirit, recreates within us the Christ-likeness with new longings, new desires, pure hearts, and so forth. When we are one to trust and open the heart, the Spirit indwells us. We get new motives, new desires, new longings, and as we choose to say yes, yes to the Spirit at each of its leadings, then we receive divine power so that we're able to succeed in those choices. And this is what Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed, and he said to his disciples, It's beneficial for you that I leave. If I don't leave, the comforter won't come. But when the comforter comes, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. Mm, Think that through. Yes, yes, yes. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he's not going to just talk on his own. He's going to be listening to someone and speaking what he's hearing. Well, who do you think the Holy Spirit's listening to? (laughs) Jesus. That's right. Jesus is in heaven as our heavenly representative and mediator pleading before the Father to all of us to trust him to open our hearts to him, to let him heal us, to accept his metaphorical flesh and blood, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, Jesus said in John 6, to accept the flesh, the truth that Jesus has brought, and the blood, the life of Jesus, the new life, to accept it. And the Holy Spirit takes what Jesus has provided and reproduces it in us so that we become partakers of the divine nature, as Peter said. We have the law written in our heart, as it says in Hebrews 8.20. That's the Holy Spirit giving us new desires. And so Jesus said in John 6, 63, the Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. Mm-hmm. Spirit brings life? What does that mean? Well, the Spirit in the Greek is the word panuma. panuma. And that Greek word is translated into a bunch of English words. One is spirit. One is breath. One is wind, one is ghost, as in Holy Ghost. The breath, the breath of life, God breathed into Adam. The breath of life, that's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God gives life. Well, let's press this a little farther, Charles. Let's say that you have a child that you love deeply, and your child is going on a trip. Maybe it's a mission trip. And as you give them a hug, they get on the plane, you say to them, Hey, sweetie, don't be discouraged. I'll be with you in spirit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you say to your child, I'll be with you in spirit, you are not saying that you will be with them in person, physically, bodily. You're not saying that. You're also not saying you're going to have an out-of-body experience and float over them like a ghost. (laughs) That's right. You're not saying that either. It's not an apparition that's going to follow them around. What you're saying is that you will be with them in heart, Mm -hmm. in attitude, in affection, in longing, in sympathy, in compassion, in attitude. That's what you're saying. Your desire and heart is for their good. They will be in your thoughts, in your affections, in your prayers, that your emotional world will be oriented around them and you are with them even though you're not physically with them. Isn't that what you're saying? That's exactly what we're saying, yes. So to be with your child in spirit is to come into a, a unity, a harmony of the inmost being resonating and connecting along unseen energy bonds of quantum universe that God created his universe to exist upon. It is an alignment of one's affections and hearts and goodwill and intentions for the health and happiness of that person. Likewise, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, We are filled with the presence of God, his life, his energy, his love, his affection, his kindness, goodness, grace, truth, 
power, affection, affirmation. Our hearts are aligning and resonating with the same resonant frequency and harmonics that heaven operates upon. You know, Dr. Jennings, you have just given some very, very good news to a lot of people. There may be a listener right now who is thinking, oh, man, I am so bad. I wish that I was better. I wish that I could have God in my heart. I wish that I could redo things. I wish that I could learn how to... Guess what? God is there in the form of the Holy Spirit. You have God in your heart, and He is talking to you, and He is trying to guide you and lead you. You don't have to look any further than your heart. When we trust God that the Holy Spirit does come into our hearts, you're not wrong about that, but I I think that expression could be easily misunderstood. What would be a better way of saying that? So I would say that we continue to look out of ourselves, but we are aware of the experiential changes. Mm. So we're not looking in ourselves to find God. We are identifying within ourselves how God is transforming, healing, and renewing us. Ah, very good. We see the fruits of the Spirit happening in our lives. Is that right? That's right. But the fruits of the Spirit are manifest in our life, but the source of those fruits are not coming from within us. Mm -hmm. We are partaking of something that exists outside of us. Gotcha. So our spirit then is our life energy given to us by God. He breathed into the breath of life, and we have a spirit. Your attitude is your spirit. And you can develop or foster a negative spirit, a spirit of hostility. Or as Paul wrote to Timothy, we are not to have a spirit of fear. Mm-hmm. That's not the spirit we're supposed to have. Yeah. But some people have spirits of fear, don't they? They certainly do. Absolutely. We're not to have a spirit of, of animosity or bitterness or hatred. And some people have those spirits or resentment. We're not to have a spirit of fear of rejection or fear of financial loss or fear of failure or fear of condemnation. No, these are the negative ways we, we can fill our spirit with all this negative stuff. When we come to God and we experience his love and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit and his grace and the truth that the spirit of truth brings to us, we let go of the lies and the falsehoods and we embrace a new heart and right spirit from the the Holy Spirit, and we now develop a positive spirit, a spirit of love, a spirit of truth, a spirit of grace, a spirit of kindness, the fruits of the Spirit. Dr. Jennings, give us some practical advice here. How do we begin the journey to reconnect with the Holy Spirit? How do we do that? By making a choice to pursue a connection with God and to open the heart and invite him in. You don't have to have all cognitive understanding or even very much cognitive understanding. It's very basic. You have to know, hey, there's something wrong with me. Hey, there's a God in heaven who loves me and he's got a solution for me. And at that basic level, you simply say, Lord, I don't know what the problem is. I don't know how to fix it, but I believe that you have a solution. I open my heart, lead me in the path you'd have me go. And then you will experience presence, you will experience power, and you will have either various resources brought before you with decisions for you to make. Those resources could be a video. It might be this podcast. It might be a book to read. It might be a neighbor who came over and invite you to Bible study or somebody invites you to go to church. You will have stuff brought before you that will lead you down the path of truth, and you'll have to make a decision on it. And if you make the decision to say, well, thank you, God, but right now I've got my football game and, and I'll get to that later, well, then you don't benefit from the truth. You're putting yourself off and you're delaying your own healing and recovery. How about the law? Can we depend on the law? I'm going to keep all the laws. I'm going to keep the right day. I'm going to not swear and I'm going to honor my mom and dad. Will that help us on that journey? No. Paul makes it very clear 
that the law was not given to bring about righteousness. Mm. The law was given to expose sickness. The law, uh, as you're describing it, is simply a tool like an MRI machine. An MRI machine is a tool used by doctors to expose pathology inside a person that can't be seen from the outside. The written law was given by God to expose pathology in our souls, in our hearts and minds, that are not always obvious to everybody from the outside. But the MRI machine, having exposed a tumor in your lung, has no ability to fix or heal the tumor in your lung. Mm. Neither does rule-keeping have any ability to transform hearts. The only way the heart can be transformed is by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who takes what Christ has achieved and reproduces it in us, so it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. We actually are reborn with new motives. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Okay, final statement today, Dr. Jennings. What do we need to know from what we just said? The Holy Spirit is the agency of the Godhead who makes effectual in the heart and mind of the sinner what Christ has worked out for our salvation. Without the Holy Spirit, the death of Christ does not benefit us personally. Christ's successful, sinless life, death on the cross and resurrection, redeemed the species human in that Jesus became fully human and lived a sinless life as a human. And because Jesus retains his humanity, the species human will live forever in the person of Jesus and this planet was redeemed and all nature will be restored, but the only way we as individual sinners benefit from what Jesus has done is if we receive that benefit through the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart. Amen and amen. Comeandreason.com is the website. Check it out. This program was sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Dr. Jennings has been with us today via Skype. Dr. Jennings, as always, thank you for sharing from your heart to ours. We appreciate it. Thank you, Charles. Until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Come and reason.